You are listening to the In Focus Church podcast with Pastor Brent Gerard. In Focus Church is a multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Evans, Georgia, with a mission to love God, love people, and reach the world. Be sure to like, subscribe, and leave a rating wherever you are listening. And follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at InFocus Church. We hope this message encourages you and leaves you feeling challenged to see God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Recently, my wife, Carla, had the privilege of being able to visit both the National Museum of African American History and Culture and then the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum in Washington, D.C. And as she was sending me pictures and then sending me texts and then later on as we were back together again and she was recounting kind of her time there and what she saw and what she was learning and what God was showing her, as she's telling me and and sending me some of the descriptions and I'm seeing some of the images, I couldn't help but wonder how many of those people made in God's image were turning to God's Word for comfort, strength, and hope in the face of horrific atrocities that never got better, that didn't end in their lifetimes. They would have been modern-day chosen exiles. There are a lot of similarities to what we're going to look at today. The description of the audience that Peter is writing to in the letters that he wrote, 1st and 2nd Peter, these people would have been a slave class, a disenfranchised group of people who have no rights of citizenship, no power, no real home to call their own. They are, however, believers. They're Christians, so we think, well, good, they're Christians, right? So things have got to improve and got to get better. Nope. Quite the contrary. Things didn't get better because they had given their life to Jesus. Their salvation had not changed any of their natural circumstances. And if anything, it made them actually worse with no signs of changing in their lifetime or in generations. So when I tell you that we are chosen exiles, when we talk about a series and we're, we're talking about metaphorically, but then also spiritually that we're chosen exiles, I think there can be some disconnect. So disconnect for us, and here's why. Because we're chosen, meaning that we are chosen by God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, through the blood of Jesus. So now, because we're chosen, we're exiles. Exiles, meaning that we are not of this world anymore. It's not our home. We're actually citizens of heaven and ambassadors in this life. That's our primary identity. And knowing that, believing that, and accepting that, and also being thankful for that is the first step in our Christian exilic lives. But living in such a way that is representative of the kingdom of God and not the kingdom of here is the next step. We're not just chosen exiles to be called such. We're chosen exiles to live as such. So today I want to pick up in our series and First Peter. So if you have your Bible, I want you to turn to the book of First Peter, chapter 1. We're going to continue where we left off a little bit, starting in verse 13. 13, 14, 15, and 16. That will be our text for the day. And we're going to look at how we're to live as chosen exiles in this world today. That's what you are. 
If we look at 1 Peter 13, before I even read that, I want you to understand we're going to see a word therefore, which as we always say, if you see the word therefore, you want to know what it is there for. That's just an easy way to remember. Therefore, what? Well, then that means you got to go back and read in context the previous verses that we're about to read. So, what we're about to read today is relating to, therefore, what we just talked about last week. You can go back and listen to that or watch that online if you missed it. And this is what we're saying. Therefore, in the light of the grace of God, which called you by the foreknowledge of God through the sanctifying of the Holy Spirit, through the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus, therefore, because of that, here's what we're to do. Therefore, in the light of the grace of God and your subsequent salvation, this is how you are to live. As a side note, it means that you cannot apply or expect someone who does not claim to be a Christian to live in this manner that I'm about to talk about today. So many times we like to preach a morality as if everyone is supposed to live as a chosen exile. No, they may be an exile, but until they give their life to Christ, they've not been chosen by the Father yet. So they're just an exile who's not sure who they represent, while at the same time tragically thinking that this is their only home. Or worse, And my wife Carla mentioned this last week at the end of the message, thinking that heaven is our default destination, which apart from God's grace and salvation through Jesus Christ is actually impossible. But these verses are for the chosen exiles that would be professing Christians, believers. So if that's you, heads up, ears open, hearts softened. If that's not you, then I pray today the Holy Spirit would draw you to be one of His sons and daughters. Verse 13, therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at His coming. Verse 14, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, be holy because I am holy. Now this is the Word of God, and starting in verse 13, Peter is giving these exhortations. He's actually going to give four. We're only going to cover two today. He's giving exhortations to the chosen exiles then, and then exhortations that are still applicable to our lives today. Therefore, I'm going to look at two, like I said, and here I'm going to give you the four, but we're going to look at two. Here's what Peter is saying should mark the lives of those who are chosen exiles. They should have hope, they should be holy, they should fear God, and they should love one another. Have hope, be holy, fear God, love one another. We're going to look at having hope and being holy today. This is not easy, but it's necessary to living a life that's pleasing to God. That's really a descriptive of our Christian life. It's not easy, but it's necessary to live a life pleasing to God. So, let's look at the setting of our hope and being holy today. Peter says, with minds that are alert. That's what he says, with minds that are alert. Some translations say, girding up the loins of your mind. Nobody speaks that way anymore, so I'm not going to. And if you do, then come to the 21st century. All right, so minds that are alert. Meaning, here's what it means. Because he's like, well, back in the day, well, what does gird up your loins of your mind mean? It means like roll up the sleeves of your mind. Or, or let's, let's watch the basketball playoffs, staying up way too late because of the West Coast games. And it's like taking off the sweatsuit so that you can freely move and get into the game. That's really what we're talking about. 
taking off the things that would restrict your mind so that your mind can freely understand what God is saying and what he's doing in our lives. Nobody goes out and plays the real game with their entire sweatsuit on. No, they want to move about freely. So that's really what that whole translation means. Then he says, fully sober, meaning self-control or ready to have sound judgment in every situation in life. And it's at this point that the main verb comes in. And for the first time in this letter, it's an imperative verb that Peter is giving us. And he says, therefore, with minds that are alert, with our, the sleeves of our minds rolled up and fully sober, which we're having sound judgment, set your hope. That's the command. Set your hope with great expectation, confidently looking forward to what is good and what is beneficial. Hope fully, not hopefully, but hope fully, confidently. Fix your hope completely. Some translations just say hope. I love that. It's like there needs to be no qualifications. Like if your hope is in Christ, I don't need to say fully or completely. It's just hope. And I love that idea. So this first command in this letter is an action that you do with your mind and your heart. It's command to hope. Hope is not an action of the body. It is an experience of the soul. Peter is commanding us to experience hope, which simply means that having our minds alert and being sober are a means to an end. Because we might read that, well, we're supposed to have alert minds, or we're supposed to be sober-minded. Those are uh, actions that have a means to an end. And what are the means to that end? It is to have hope. You need to have an alert mind and a sober mind so that you can have hope. Set your hope. Also, Peter tells us what the object of our hope is. What are we hoping in? And he says, just let's read the verse. Set your hope on what? The grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. You're setting your hope on grace. The main emphasis of verse 13 is on putting one's hope completely in the final consummation of the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Well, I thought we had grace right now. We do. Grace for living. Grace for victorious living. Grace over sin. Grace unto salvation. But what we're enjoying is only the beginning of that grace. And here it is, and where I see the lost aspect of the gospel in much of our probably Western context today. In the Bible, as we read through the pastoral epistles, as we read through the letters, as we read through First and Second Peter, as we read through James, what we see over and over and over again is this pervading idea of unveiling Jesus at his second coming. It permeates the New Testament. Jesus is coming again, so put your hope in God. Jesus is going to return, so put your hope in God. I wonder if Jesus' return permeates our thoughts today, because that's where your hope comes from. Peter's saying when Jesus comes back, he's bringing all of his grace, bringing grace in its final and full consummation, the grace to the people of God. Grace is on the way. Hope in it. Hope fully in it. Hope in God's grace. Let grace get all the glory. How? By letting grace get all the hope. You often hear me say, and I like to remind us that we tend to think of hope in terms of immediacy. Well, I hope this turns out all right. Well, I hope this gets better. Well, I hope this changes. We're always thinking of hope in terms of immediacy and like down the road real quick in this life. But biblical hope is fixed on a definitive future event. 
because of God's grace, we have a living hope that Jesus will return and make all things right. That's the hope of glory. That's the hope that Peter is saying to fully put your hope in the grace of God. And the grace of God is that he's coming back to get us. That's the grace that he's poured out upon us. There is no hope without grace. But by grace, there is a living hope. This is affirmed by the word therefore in the beginning of verse 13. Therefore, meaning all the things done by the grace of God in the previous 12 verses that we looked at last week. By the grace of God, since you've been chosen by God, since God is keeping an inheritance for you in heaven, since God is is perfecting you and refining your faith through the difficulties that you go through, by his grace, you can have hope. Since he's doing all those things and since he's done all those things, you can have hope. But I want to point out the progression here again. It is not till after this celebration of God's grace in your life, celebrating the fact that it is God doing everything and that I'm really doing nothing but being obedient to his grace. Right? You didn't earn it. You didn't get on God's good side by letting the good outweigh the bad. He didn't notice you because of your good behavior or because of your intelligence or because of anything in your life. We're saying by grace, that means God did everything and I received it. And then and only then are you responding to his grace, and then comes the first command. I love the fact that God's not giving us this command until we first responded to his grace where he's already done everything. And the first command that he gives us is hope in grace. Hope in grace. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, at the final consummation of all of God's promises that are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. Christianity is first, God graciously saving his people, and second, man hoping fully in that grace. That's the essence of Christianity. God's grace first, our hope in that grace second. But if we go back to the other two statements, the other two commands that are not imperative, but they are telling us something to do surrounding this hope, we can see that there are two ways that we're going to keep hope alive. I was singing that this morning. I don't know why it crossed my mind. I just kept singing, keep hope alive, keep hope alive. And this is how we are to keep hope alive. How? By having our minds that are alert or ready for action. That's the girding up your loins of your mind, right? Having our minds alert or ready for action, depending on what translation you're reading, that's why I'm covering all of this, or being fully sober. It's by having our minds alert and, not or, and by being fully sober or sober-minded. These are secondary commands, but they're vitally important to setting our hope in grace. You're not going to set your hope in grace unless you've got your mind alert and you're fully sober. First, what are minds What are our minds doing to be hoping fully in grace? What are your minds doing to be hoping fully in grace? I think we could probably all come up with what our minds aren't to be doing to not hope fully in grace. Like those are the things that we're dealing with almost all. Where did that come from? Why am I thinking that? That's an awful thought. I hope nobody can read my mind. Like these are things that go on and don't sit there like this doesn't happen in your mind. Your mind is a very dark place unless God renews it. And I bet as we think about that, elaborate, I don't really have to elaborate on all our minds are dealing with, but what we need to know is how do our minds stay alert? What do our minds stay alert to? And what Peter is saying is your minds have to stay alert to the truth. 
the truth. Hope happens when our minds are alert to the truth, set on truth. Letting our minds be active in truth is a means of sustaining full hope in God's grace. Peter means engage the mind with truth in the service of hope, especially the truth about grace found in God's word. So what are we doing? What are we to do? We're to go to God's word. We run with the truth of scripture. We work with the truth of scripture. We live with the truth of scripture. We meditate on the truth of scripture. And if we neglect the truth of scripture, if we're not alert to it, and instead our minds are filled with lies, we will lose hope. We all know this by experience. I mean, like, I'm telling you something that you know by experience, that when you begin to believe lies, you begin to misplace your hope. Well, this will never change. Well, God doesn't really care. Well, this is, a, this is the, how this person is. This is how you are. All these lies that begin to come into our minds, and when we believe lies about ourselves, we believe lies about other people made in the image of God, when we believe lies about God, our future, our identity, we misplace our hope. Then the secondary, next secondary command in sustaining our hope is, he says, be fully sober or sober-minded. Excuse me, I'm thirsty. It means if you really want to obey, this isn't some sort of major prohibition against alcohol. This is what they're saying. Listen, if you really want to obey the command to hope fully in God's grace, don't let your mind drink in things that numb your mind. Don't let your mind drink in things that numb your heart to the value of God's grace in your life. The main problem with getting drunk is that it distorts your reality by making your mind insensitive to what is true and what is real and what is valuable. Like when I'm drunk, if you will, maybe inebriated, then I don't understand what's valuable anymore, including my life and everybody else's. I don't understand perspective. I don't understand truth. That's why somebody that is like maybe 5'5 and 100 pounds soaking wet would go up to Mike Tyson and say, I'll beat you up. Like, you must be drunk. There's no real understanding of what this is going to turn out to be like in your mind. And there are too many things spiritually that we drink in. And I don't have to give you a list of how you drink them in. But they're mind-numbing things in this life. And they can run the gamut of of things that are destructive, to things that are, are, are amoral, to things that are actually good, great things in life, but we use to replace God as Lord over our lives. These are good things that I'm putting my hope in that I can't because the only one that I'm supposed to have my hope in is Jesus Christ. So all of a sudden, my mind begins to lose its ability to put its hope in God alone. And whenever we use anything to numb our minds, to distort reality, to devalue what God values, or even contradict truth, we are not renewing our minds as Scripture is exhorting us to do, and we will misplace our hope. The point is, know what numbs your mind to God and His truth, and avoid it. Also, stay sober for the sake of full and passionate hope in God's grace. That's where we are to set 
our hope. The Apostle Paul speaks the same message. That's why I'm saying this, this idea of setting our hope on the finished work of Jesus and his subsequent return is all over the New Testament. In Colossians 3, the Apostle Paul says it again, set your mind, what? On things above that you now have and will have in full when Christ returns. I'm paraphrasing. But this is what he's saying. We are to be inundated with the truth of God's word because typically we're inundated with messages that promote the below behavior, not the above behavior. We're, we're inundated with messages that aren't helping us think on things above, but think on things below. If we watch like any of the one million streaming channels, we'll probably start thinking a little bit below. Or maybe we're scrolling through our Instagram and we start thinking below. Or maybe we read the latest news from your favorite fake news outlet and you start thinking below. Or maybe you just glance at all the advertisements that you're getting because of that one word that you mentioned in your house and Alexa picked it up and sent it over to Google and now everything in your life and all your emails and all of your feeds have that one thing about cutting your grass. And even if the messages we receive are not overtly immoral, if they're causing us to embrace values from below, it's going to kill hope. And what do I mean? I mean, there's things in this life, as I said, that are not bad, they're not immoral, but the perspective is one that excludes God and prioritizes things and stuff as though life on earth is the final thing that's going to happen. It's like, it's the greatest thing of life. Our happiness and our fulfillment, our right to be happy are the top priority. And because of this, our home and our primary identity is lost because we think it's here. However, if we want to be directed from above, where Paul says to set your mind, where Peter's saying to set your mind, then we must make an effort to counteract the onslaught of the messages that numb our mind and cause us to want to think only below. The great concern of God in this passage of Scripture is that we would not be half-hearted hopers. And hopers isn't a word probably, but we're not to be half-hearted in that hope. We're not to be satisfied with half-hoping hearts, but that we would engage our minds with the hope-producing truth of Scripture, God's Word, and that we would guard our minds from the hope-diminishing priorities of this world that are in contrary, in opposition to God's Word. I want to belabor this point a little bit before I get to living holy lives because hope is so important. Matter of fact, you won't live a holy life without hope. Like, who's going to do that? I mean, literally, it's like, well, I ain't living a holy life. I'm here today. I'll be gone tomorrow, whatever. It's like Scripture says, hey, if this is all, if none of this is true, none of this is true about the gospel, then party it up. That's basically what Paul says. So what are we talking about as I'm belaboring the point on hope? Because hope is so important that the writers of the New Testament basically reiterate, as I said, having hope in the midst of this life, the difficulties of life, over and over and over again. So set your hope. Let's think about that word. What does that mean? Set your hope. Set your hope. We've heard that. Set your hope on things above. Set your hope on the grace of God that is going to be culminated when Jesus Christ returns. What if we think about it as something that we set down? then it's not something we haphazardly lose, which is what we often think, well, I'm losing hope. Nope, it's wherever you set it down last. Where did you set your hope down? Where's your hope today? Is it in people made in the image of God, but not God? 
Is it people that are just like you? Because if that's the case, if you set your hope on people, they're going to let you down at some point. That's just the truth. If you set your hope on your possessions or your money, it can blow away just like the wind as easily as it might have come in. However, if you set your hope on something that is immovable, that is a rock, that is fixed, that is unchanging, that will never disappear or disappoint, then you'll never lose it. Hope will always be where you had a mind to set it. See why it's so important that your mind is alert and that it's sober? Because wherever your alert, sober mind sets your hope, that's where it is. Wherever you have your heart set on, that's where your hope is. Maybe the most important question to ask your soul every day is, where will you set your hope today so you don't lose it? And if we would begin to think of hope like we think of some things in our lives that we hate losing, like our wallet or our keys, then where do you set those so you don't lose them? Every day, it's of supreme importance that I know where I'm placing my hope so that I don't start to lose hope. Because if you live a hopeless life, you will start to lose your will to live. And Peter is reminding us that we always set our hope in the person of Jesus Christ. And the person of Jesus will always give you hope in everything. Theologian Henry Nouwen says, as long as there is hope, there is life. If where we set our hope matters so much, as I said, we ought to think about it in terms we could understand. Recently, before we were able to get a vehicle for my uh, oldest daughter, Anna, we were all, my wife and I and Anna were sharing two cars. First world problems, I understand, but it was annoying. And, uh, you know, Anna would be at school, and Carla and I would be sharing the car, and then she's like, where's the key? And the problem is, there's only one key to my car, I know, (laughs) but uh, that's all I got. And uh, so, where's the key? Where'd you put the key? That's like the constant question for the, where's the key? It's in the car. Where's, no, it's not. Well, where is it? Well, I'll normally leave it here. I'm like... I even have a tile on my key. So one day, Carla gets up early in the morning uh, to go to burn, and and the reality is I'm asleep when she does that, and I'm glad for it. So um, as she's going, she's looking for the key. And she comes in, it's like, where's the key? I'm like, it's in the car. No, it's not. Well, then it's hanging where I hang it if it's not in the car. No, it's not. At that point, I'm awake and up and walking around looking for the key, and the tile is dead. So, that does me no good. Long story short, I actually finally found the key, but it wasn't where I normally put it. It wasn't where I normally place it so that we don't lose it. And so, I want us to understand if we always put something where it belongs. I always have my iPad charger in the front pocket of my backpack. Guess where I always find my iPad charger? In the front pocket of my backpack. It's always there. Always set every bit of your hope in the person of Jesus, and the person of Jesus will always give you hope in everything. Others may look around and and end up feeling hopeless, but you look up into Christ, and you set all of your hope in Him, and you end up having endless hope. Our hope isn't set on how things work out, but on the one who has already worked everything out. Our 
Our hope is set in the one who has finished the work and keeps us safe in himself. Set your hope in Jesus. Set all your hope right there in his hands and your hope will always stay right with you. Because Jesus always stays right with you. Psalm 4, 8 says, you alone make me dwell in safety. That's your safest place. The safest place to set your hope, your expectations, is in the hands of the one who will never leave you, never forsake you. It's in the hands who loved you to death so much that he took the nails into his hands. It's in the hands of the one whom your name is inscribed upon his hands and will walk with you, holding your hand on the journey of this exilic life until you actually get home. Let's close off today, and the last thing I'll say is, the second exhortation is, be holy. Have hope, be holy. I already said, you're not going to be holy if you have no hope. There's no point. Be hopeful in the grace of God, and then be holy like the holiness of God. You can see both of these commands call for a dedicated, thorough orientation of a life in God. Be a hope-filled person, and let the hope that you're filled with be a hope in God. Now he's saying, be a holy person and let the holiness that you have be like the holiness of God. So when you're hoping, you're God-centered. And when you're holy, you're God-centered. The grace of God is the source of your hope. And the holiness of God is the standard of your holiness. It's a God-centric life. And remember, the, the people that Peter is writing to, this is important, have literally nothing but God. So God is their everything. Another problematic reality for us, when we seemingly have everything or we think we have everything, God becomes very little or nothing to us. I don't need him. I'm good. So how does the holiness of God make its tangible, genuine impact on our lives? Peter's quoting God in verse 16 when he says, be holy for I am holy. He's not saying, Peter's not saying that. He's quoting God. God says, be holy for I am holy. What does that mean? Be exactly like God? Probably not. That's impossible. This key is found in comparing verse 14 and verse 15. Let's look at that. Verse 14 and 15. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lust which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior. Verse 14 tells us what the opposite of being holy is in contrast to the command to be holy in verse 15. And I want to give you just some simple steps that I read earlier this week from another pastor just as we close this out on on how this can help us for God to bring His holiness as an expression in the lives of those of us who claim Jesus as Lord. Number one, we have to remember God calls us. Just like God called you to salvation, this says God's the one that calls you to holiness. But just as he who called you is holy, this call is the effect of God's life-giving word that brings us out of rebellion into the submissive attitude of faith. God has called you to holiness, and when God calls you, things change. When God calls your name, you go from death to life. When God calls you, I go from living a life that is contrary to God's word to a life that is beginning to line up with God's word. Secondly, we become children of God. The effect of this call or or this new birth is that we become children of God. Verse 14 says, as obedient children, as sons and daughters of our heavenly Father God. This is crucial because this shows that something really changed on the inside. We've been adopted into a new family when God called us. Namely, the Spirit of God has changed us from the inside out. So the Holy Spirit enters us and begins to work the holiness of God into our lives. But how? Number three, we see things differently. 
We're not ignorant anymore. Anybody ever have a parent or grandparent that just said you're acting ignorant? That's like the favorite word. That's just ignorant. You're acting ignorant. And that's what God, that's Peter saying that, listen, before God, you were ignorant. And now being called, you're going to see things differently. You've made children of God. You no longer see things in the ignorant way that you once did. We see things differently as obedient children. And we're not conforming to our evil desires that I had when I lived in ignorance. Now we're called to be born of God, children of God. We're not blinded by what the apostle Paul says are deceitful desires. They don't deceive me anymore. I see them for what they are. And if I do fall into that, I know exactly where I was going when I made that choice. I know these desires. I see through them. I see where they're going to lead. We're not foolish anymore. And we begin to value what God values and not overvalue what has no eternal value. Basically, it's the old saying, you know better now. Maybe somebody said that to you as well. You know better. I've said that to my kids at least, I don't know, a million times. You know better. I've said that to myself. You know better. What do we know better? We know God better. We know the holiness of God. We don't assess human reality as superior to God in value. We're not ignorant of God's infinite worth anymore. Once we were blind to the value of God, now by God's Spirit, that foolishness and that ignorance that we once had is gone. And we're beginning to assess things for what they really are with an eternal value through the lens of God's holiness. Now we see the holiness of God and its supreme value, not just in my life, but in the universe. That God is holy. Number four, we put away old desires and we experience new ones. The replacing of our former ignorance with the truth about God leads to putting away the old desires and experiencing new ones. That's what verse 14 says. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had. Past tense. Some say former desires. That was your former life. That's what you used to have, but that's not anymore. The evil desires you had, they're gone. Some translations I said said former desires are your ignorance. When we assessed God wrongly, we had deceitful desires. But now Peter calls them former desires. They're fading into the past. They're losing their grip on our lives. And as much as we might still have to fight them with the truth of God's word by being alert and sober-minded and hoping in the grace of God, as much as that is happening, they are not the defining power of our lives anymore. Those lies no longer have a hold of us. They used to be us, but they're not us anymore. And then lastly, he says we obey God. These new desires and the dethroning of the old desires lead to obedience to God and a nonconformity to the world. When all of this begins to take place because of our hope in the grace of the finished work of Jesus, then we begin, as verse 15 says, to be holy in all we do. So how does the holiness of God become tangible and genuine in our lives? According to 1 Peter in the verses that we've looked at this morning, It's like this, our holy God calls us powerfully to himself. He gives us his Holy Spirit to bear witness that we are his children now. He opens our eyes to overcome our ignorance about the suicidal nature of desires that wage war against our souls. And he enables us to assess the supremacy of his worth, his holiness properly 
And these new revelations and understanding of truth is a brand new set of desires. And the former desires begin to die as foolish and suicidal. The new desires begin to grow with increasing realization of the worth of God's holiness. And so in all our behavior, the holiness of God becomes the dominating, all-shaping reality of our lives. So I exhort you with what the Apostle Peter says, verse 13. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you today for your grace your grace that has called us, your grace that has saved us through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit and the blood of Jesus. And we thank you now that we can put our hope in that grace. My encouragement to you with every head bowed and every eye closed is maybe you came in here and your hope is misplaced. I am praying today that you will now put your hope and set it on exactly where it belongs so that you never lose it again. And that is on Jesus who never changes, who is always with you, who will never forsake you, who will never leave you, and is with you till the end. And in the end, his word promises that he is coming back and the fullness of his grace is going to be poured out on us as the consummation of what he has done for us through the cross becomes real and we experience life with him forever. That's the hope that you have today. And if you do not have that hope in the grace of God through Jesus Christ, then I'm praying today would be the day, just like last week when young, one young lady came up and said, I want to give my life to Jesus. Maybe today is the day that you walk up to one of the prayer teams and say, I want to give my life to Jesus today. I want to put my hope in the grace of God through Jesus Christ today. I want my hope to be fixed. I don't want to misplace it anymore. I want to have a desire to live, and the desire to live comes from a hope that is in the grace of God. And I'm praying today that those who have given your life to Jesus, that your hope would be renewed, that you'd begin to think on things above, that you'd not begin to dwell or stop dwelling on the things below, and that you'd allow hope to be alive again, hope to be renewed again, hope to be refreshed again in the person of Jesus Christ today. I want you to fix your eyes on Him. I want you to put your heart on Him. I want you to aim your praise towards Him. I want you to sing your song to Him today, even as we close. I want you to cry out to the one that can answer your prayers as only He can. He is the author and the perfecter of your faith. He is the hope of glory. That's who you are, Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords. Would you come and would you fill this place with hope? Would you restore Thank you for listening to the In Focus Church podcast with Pastor Brent Gerard. In Focus Church is a multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Evans, Georgia, with a mission to love God, love people, and reach the world. Be sure to like, subscribe, and leave a rating wherever you are listening, and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at InFocus Church.